Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to Where We Land. My name is Aaron, and I am joined in the studio with my co-host Laura. Hello. And Stephen. Hello, hello, hello. And we are joined with a friend and longtime co-host, Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? I'm back. (laughs) Hey, and today we are talking about preference and deference. So we look forward to having you join us for the rest of the discussion. Well, guys, before we jump into the discussion today, talking about preference and deference, it's so good to have Morgan uh, co-host back with us for a special guest appearance. It's been so long. I know. It's so nice to have you back in the studio. (laughs) I'm really excited about this because when Aaron called and asked me if I would consider being on the podcast, my only thing was like, but... But can Morgan stay too? I'm twisting <laughs> so. his arm to see how many episodes I can get with yeah. you this season, Laura. So yeah. we'll see how good yes. it works. Go team. And it's Laura's maiden voyage. This is her christening episode. So Ooh, I'm super pumped about that. So excited. <laughs> ship. I just wanted to see how many metaphors I could throw uh, in there at once. So. Well, it was pretty good. There's yeah, pretty good. thank you. So, okay, so but here you go. Before we talk about the episode today, I just want to know, because I, I think it's, it's helpful sometimes to ask, what have people been reading and listening to? Because I know that you've been reading some books, Morgan, it's too and many books. Um, I've, I've read a new book recently that I have just been captivated by. Mm-hmm. So um, what, why don't you share first? What, what's something you've yeah. been reading? So my problem is that I, I start a bunch of books and then I finish them really slowly. So I'm in the middle of like six, but I'll pick two to talk about. Um, so I'm reading Hearing God by Dallas Willard. That is a really insightful book. I'm kind of using it as sort of a devotional piece to my scripture reading daily, and I'm really loving it. Shout out to my brother-in-law, because I didn't know who Dallas Willard was until he was oh, really? talking about some of his books. Yeah. So I get most of my post-school theology training from my brother-in-law. Yeah. So Sh- Shout out to Matt. Shout out to Matt. Matt. Yeah, um, shout out to Matt. And um, I am also reading... Um, Let's see. I have a few I could choose from. No, I finished the first book in this series by Ted Decker called um, the it's like the circle series. But this first book was called Black. They're like all different colors. And it's kind of like it's somewhat like Narnia in the sense that it's like but this time it's like sci fi and blending it with reality. There's like two worlds going on. The time doesn't correlate. And it's all these different like. Um, gospel sort of metaphors. It's really, really interesting. Um, sometimes I could take or leave his writing style, but the concepts are very cool. So if you haven't read the Circle series by Ted Decker, it's taken me a long time to get on board with it, but it's pretty cool. I'm in book two now, so I'm Ooh. committed. <laughs> Ooh, very good. It does sound good. It does sound real good. Stephen, what about you? Yeah, so I just... What you um, been reading in school? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? I took, um, I took this week off of reading anything, um, but I just got done with a um, semester-long class. Um, one of my classes I took was in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, so I got to read through the Gospel of Matthew a couple of times, uh, but I also read a few different books that had to do with it. I got to read this gigantic little commentary through the entire book, um, but I also got to read a book um, that was specifically just about the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I enjoyed that book um, immensely as it walked through the. It was it was a pretty long book too. I mean, it was a couple hundred, three hundred pages long, but it was on the um, Sermon on the Mount specifically, and just those couple three chapters there in Matthew of uh, Jesus teaching. And um, I think often 
we read through the Gospels and we read it with a modern uh, context without thinking of the historical significance of everything. And uh, one of the books that we read in that class was on the theology of Matthew. And uh, it literally walked through things like in Matthew, how you can see Jesus as the new Moses, uh, the new David, and all these different things of which he was he was a new and better, more perfect uh, version. And I'd always thought, yeah, you know, Jesus, the new David, you hear that metaphor a lot. But Jesus as the new Moses was something I was confronted in that I had never really looked at before in the book of Matthew. And it's literally so painfully obvious once you look at it that you're like, how could I never have seen this before? And um, so that was a really beneficial reading was through that, uh, the, all those books, but uh, specifically um, the one, Theology of Matthew. Ooh, ooh, that's good. That's good. What are you reading, Aaron? I just finished the book called The Cross of, the Cross of Christ by John Stott, and a uh, really great book. It's um, kind of a classic that people recommend to read, and I had never read it. Uh, really enjoyed, especially the first half of it. And then the book that I have just absolutely been loving right now is called Old Paths, New Power by Daniel Henderson. And it's just a book on just um, calling the church back to kind of Acts 6 4, uh, the ministry of prayer and the word. And it has been one of the most convicting but refreshing books. And it's one of those things where like, you know, some books you just like read chapter by chapter and then you kind of glean a few things from it. It's been one of those things that it's it's one of the books that I have read that I feel like I'm just taking my time working through it because every chapter is just so rich. And um, I would recommend it to anybody to go read Old Paths, New Power. What about you, Laura? I am reading a book by Tish Harrison Warren called Prayer in the Night for Those Who Work or Watch or Weep. And um, I'm only a few chapters in, but she shares about um, just the – she experienced losses in her life, and uh, she lost a child. She lost her dad all within a certain – a short period of time. And she shares her walking through grief and how the old liturgies of the church helped her do that and gave her words to pray when she had nothing to say through her time of lament. And it is just, um, right now the chapter I'm reading is about lament and how we see that so often in the Psalms and how it's important to have a theology of grief and an appropriate way to walk through our trials. Yeah, that's so important because that's one of those topics that we see in Scripture, but I think we don't talk about it much in the church today, thinking about that whole this concept of lament and what that means. What do you think? I think that, uh, at least in my experience, that the church tends to be good at focusing on um, victory, um, moving us on to victory, which is important. We do need to have a forward, you know, a forward movement, a forward momentum towards the victory in in every part of our life that Mm. Christ has given to us. But I think that often we're doing that at the expense of allowing people to grieve. Mm. And it is so important to let people see that in Scripture, to let them see that uh, sadness and grief. Grief, when processed correctly, is a gift from God. Mm. And um, we need to, not the sadness, but the way that we work through our grief with Him, it's how we come to a place of closure and hope and help and healing. Mm, often there's not a process there. It's no. often mm. kind of suppressed or just disregarded. 
right. or, you know, hey, move through it real quick right. and go on to the next thing. Yeah. So, man, that's good. That sounds good. I'd be interested to hear more about that on future episodes. So uh, today we're taking some time to talk about preference and deference. And uh, we were given a question uh, by one of our listeners Shout out to Rachel. And we love you, uh, Rachel. she sent us a question from our episode on um, the end times, which was a live episode yeah. that we did on Facebook. And uh, Morgan, you have her question. So why don't you read it for us? And this is going to really frame our discussion today. Okay. So Rachel wrote to us on the podcast and she said, I've been thinking about your end times episode a lot lately, and one thing that struck me was when you said there were a couple different views on when believers would be raptured, literal millennium, etc. You said that those differing views were all within orthodoxy and not a salvation issue. It just made me wonder, how it, how is it that we can believe different things and that's okay, even when we also say that there is absolute truth? The Bible talks about unity among the brotherhood of believers a lot, but yet there seems to be so many things that are almost acceptable to disagree on within the Christian worldview. I think a podcast of gray areas in Christianity would be a real interesting topic. I understand that there can be some mystery when it comes to the things of God, but how do we know when to draw the line on our opinions and what is actually truth? Is it really okay to be in a disagreement with a fellow believer over a spiritual topic where one person has a conviction to interpret a verse literally and the other doesn't? Just my thoughts and ponderings, smiley face. Thanks for doing the podcast, Rachel. Way to include the emoji. Oh, you gotta include the emoji. That frames the whole question. Right. So she asked a very important question and probably a question that many people have asked, because even that one thing that she says there, she says, how do we know when to draw the line on our opinions and what is actually truth? Right. And so, you know, you don't have to be a Christian very long before you discover that the Bible doesn't spell out everything regarding every issue just the way that you hoped it might. You know, I think a lot of people want to approach the Bible like Google, you know, they they want to ask whatever question they want to ask and find where in the Bible that that is being answered. And quite often uh, the Bible is answering other questions that necessarily we're not asking. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to, you know, take some time here uh, to talk about the difference between those two things. So as we think about preference and deference and her question, particularly, uh, what are, how, how, how are we approaching this whole topic of gray areas? You know, I mean, I would ask the question then, are there gray areas in scripture? I think it depends on your definition of a gray area. Are we doing a DYT right now? Yeah, I think think it depends on your definition (laughs) of a gray area. I think what you're asking is, is there objective truth in God's word? And is there also areas in God's word where it leaves um, some things up to a choice of the believer that are not necessarily wrong? Is that what we're defining as a gray area is something that's left up to choice? over an issue yeah well i mean you know a lot of times you'll hear people say you know the bible is all black and white Mm -hmm. or sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll say well no there are some gray areas meaning it's kind of preferential Mm -hmm. and so what is it is is there moral absolutes in scripture and are there things that the bible is not so clear on in the sense of once again we want the bible to answer something that it is not simple answer yes (laughs) yes (laughs) lauren what would you say it's both 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. we do see moral absolutes. There's a lot of really clear ones. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you can't kill people. You can't, <laughs> you don't lie. Like, I know those are really basic, but there are moral absolutes, which is totally against our culture. Well, I think what Steve yeah. was just talking about with the uh, Moses and Jesus, I mean, yeah. look, yeah, yeah, look yeah, at the Ten yeah. Commandments, look at Jesus and the book of Matthew, Sermon on yeah. the Mount. Look at the countless number of moral absolutes yeah. that the Bible is. Anytime you see the words thou shalt, Thou shalt not, if you're reading a newer version, yeah. you shall, you yeah. shalt not, or, or do, um, not. do not, do this, <laughs> be, those are commands. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I had a conversation with a um, teenager a few weeks ago, it's been a couple months now, and we were talking about the Bible, and um, we were looking at some objective absolutes, moral absolutes in scripture, and their comment was, well, words change over time, so they're not absolute. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, language does not change like that. Um, when it says those words, those are absolutes. And um, so, yes, there are absolutes in Scripture, but there also is certain areas in Scripture where there is some room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that presents us with gray areas, like we call them, is when we come to a text and some things are left open for interpretation. And uh, I think the question was referenced out of an episode where there are many passages that have to do with the end times that does leave some room for interpretation and some differing interpretations that aren't necessarily just like either illogical, crazy, unscriptural, or just flat out like what in the world. And I think if if any of our listeners are like me, I I get a little anxious and, and frustrated over parts of scripture that are more gray and tend to be a little bit more subjective to interpretation because I just have the personality where like I want to know, like I need to know the black and white. So it, but these do like the gray areas. They take a lot more time and intentionality, kind of like what you were saying. That intentional, I think it was like in your teaser, you're talking about like people taking time to reach the conclusions for themselves. So um, sometimes scripture does that for you and it tells you, here's your conclusion. Well, and and I agree with that. And I think part of it also is discussing the difference between commandments and uh, principles, because Mm -hmm. when you look at the Bible, there are very clear commands. I, you know, commands to not murder, commands to not lust, commands um, about drunkenness and things like lying and greediness. I mean, there's so many things that you just read one of the New Testament letters that Paul writes and you look at um, all the ways that he just describes this list of sins and what he's talking about. He says, no, there's, there are some moral absolutes in Scripture that we must submit to, um, things that are commanded. But then I think there's also a realm of things that the Bible speaks to in areas of principle that are not so clearly delineated in Scripture, nevertheless, the Bible is speaking to them uh, in 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 a in a in a unique way, right? So, um, what what would be some of those things that might fall under the category of opinion or preference? That you know, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter fourteen. If you have a Bible, we'd encourage you to turn there with us uh, as we kind of go through the chapter there. But um, in, in in that day, their situation that were opinion issues uh, were things regarding food and special days, whereas our situation today, I mean, last I 
heard. I didn't know of any church that was arguing what kind of food people brought to a potluck, right? I mean, <laughs> especially uh, not Baptist circles. I, no, maybe not. Yeah, definitely not Baptist circles. So, um, but but there are things today that are probably matters of opinion, and I, and and I know you know everybody might have a different place where they land on some of these. So we're not dealing with the 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 opinion itself. But what would be some of those things that would kind of fall into that Romans fourteen category? Well, I think in our modern day, I think you're presented with things like uh, styles of worship, right? Mm -hmm. And so some people might worship a little bit more freely. Some people might be a little bit more liturgical in their worship. And um, both have happened at different points in orthodoxy. And you can see different types of worship styles even in scripture. And um, I think sometimes, though, as denominations, they, they've taken a stand on a certain principle and they said, this is how we're going to do things and this is the only way we can do it. And, okay, well, they're convicted in that way, but is that a, um, is that a command in Scripture or is that based on biblical principles that might not be the only way to do it, you know? And I think that's a modern, uh, a modern version of things that we would huh. see in scripture. Huh. Laura, what about you? I do think one thing, this is just interjecting it. Um, Stephen used a word that I think we're probably going to use several times, and I think we should maybe define it. Okay. The word orthodox. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Define it So first. I would see if anybody has anything to add, um, but for me, orthodoxy would be like the traditional accepted non-heretical belief of the church. Right. So do you have any other things that you would add to that? Orthodox sounds like a big, scary word, but how would you break that down to explain what you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great question. Do you want to take that first, Aaron, or do you want me to? Well, I would say that when you look in the New Testament, there are many references. I even read one today in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where, and you'll see it in other places. You see it in the book of Jude and other letters. Um, the gospel, the, the, the New Testament writers talk about the faith Mm -hmm. They're talking about not an emotional experience quite often when they use that phrase. They're talking about a body of truth. They're, they're talking about doctrine, something that has shape and form to it. And so as we think about how we got our Bibles for a, for a moment and you think about uh, in the Old Testament and, and, as, and as those writings and things were collected and then you know, put there in the tabernacle and the temple. And then uh, as, as Stephen was talking about, actually quite fitting uh, about Jesus coming on the scene as, as really a perfect Moses and uh, revealing God's law and uh, who God is. And then also uh, teaching and internalizing so many of those commandments in the Old Testament, you know, and you, you think about different places where, where Jesus describes um, you know, to to love God and to love others and how that just sums up the law and the prophets, you know. And and then I think about the New Testament uh, apostles, the writers of the New Testament, really kind of being commentators on Christ. I mean, they were they were taking the teaching of Jesus and they were heralding the good news and and they were doing so in a way that uh, they were expounding and, and clarifying for churches. So, so much of the New Testament, like even the book of Romans, what we're looking at today, it, it's, it's a letter of Paul to the church in Rome. And, and we have so much of what he says, but we don't have necessarily the questions that were asked of him, right? And so I think the way to define orthodoxy is a lot of times when people hear that word, they want to jump to a church council or they want to think of what the church affirmed. 
when in actual fact, it goes so much farther back to actually the recognized word of God itself, right? When the Old Testament was given, it was recognized as the word of God. And same way with the New Testament and the letters that were written. There were many letters that uh, Paul wrote, and there were many that are not contained uh, that we have record of that we have in our Bibles today. And so uh, I think part of that deals with your understanding of preservation of how God gave us his word and has revealed his word. But I think the simple answer to that would be orthodoxy would be what the Bible refers to in the New Testament as it talks about the faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see Jude talking about that the church is to contend for the faith. Now, when he says that, he, he, he does have in mind, I believe, uh, that orthodox belief that those, um, I think we'll probably talk about them on the podcast as kind of, um, uh, as kind of, um, just non-negotiables, right? The doctrinal truth. And, and I think, you know, without getting too further along in the episode, you know, uh, issues relating to the person of Christ, uh, what is the church, you know, what, what are, what are some of those historic beliefs that the church has held throughout all the centuries? And what are those things that the church was to contend for, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what you see in the early church, right over, you know, the first few centuries as the church not only was faced with persecution, as they um, were growing and multiplying and needing to teach and to herald that right to other generations and to in other places, you find the church. And we've had episodes as we talked about this in the past. I think on belief and biblical authority, there's an episode you can go back and listen to. But we talked about how the church affirmed doctrine in each of those councils. So they were not creating doctrine. It wasn't a bunch of church leaders coming together and saying, okay, well, what are going to be the tenets and the doctrines of our church? It was, it was the church leaders, the pastors and bishops of those churches coming together to contend well for the faith and to say, this was the faith, the faith, the body of truth that was handed down um, uh, in the old Testament through Christ. And now the, the uh, apostles are also helping lay the foundation for the early church. And so when we talk about orthodoxy, mm-hmm. I think we're talking about the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. What do you guys think? What else would you add to that? Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, and just, you know, to bring out some more clarity, the things that would be more gray and not in that orthodox are things that just the opposite. You you wouldn't have to like lay on a hill and die for in order to still be a Christian. I think of a hot cultural one is like the issue of alcohol. That is vastly, you know, it, it, people have differing opinions across the board when it comes to, um, you know, whether it's like something we should do as Christians or something where we shouldn't do. Drunkenness is one thing, but just partaking in alcohol as a substance, you know, that's that's a really big gray. Yeah. And it's just, I like know. that you brought out the command there because drunkenness is actually a command in scripture to sure. abstain <laughs> from. So, but yeah, um, I think when you look at it, Orthodoxy is the opposite opposite of heresy. Heresy is the divergent beliefs outside of scripture, outside of uh, the faith. And orthodoxy is the normative Christian beliefs that adhere to the teachings of scripture and they lead to sound, correct theology, and they are affirmed um, throughout the Christian tradition. And I think you can look back and say, well, they were affirmed at this time. Certain truths have been affirmed for thousands of years Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) because they are found in scripture. And we do not deem them valid. Scripture deems them valid. And so if they've been affirmed for thousands of years, 
that is orthodoxy like that there we should probably sit up and listen if they've been deemed and affirmed according to scripture that they are valid that way so yeah and at that same time if you hear somebody saying something that seems very new and interesting and you've got to look at that and if it goes against orthodoxy and everything that we've said there's a real problem there yes yes can you, if if you have something that has very little scriptural evidence and hasn't none, been confirmed at all by the church. Been confirmed and at you all don't by see the church. the church history. There's probably some issues there. And I think sometimes we think, you know, well, church history has no impact on my current life. No, it probably should actually have some current impact because there are some areas in scripture that we do look at and we're like, I don't see a lot there. What do I do? Well, did you ever think about looking in church history? Um, because church history what, will help you spot it will. what... What is just heresy repackaged? Because that's really good. Satan has used the same tricks throughout all of history. So if you take time to go in and really study the history and background of the epistles that Paul wrote, who he was writing to, why he was writing it, you can, while we don't, like you said, Aaron, we don't have the questions that they asked, but if you go in and you study what they have found and what they've learned about the culture that he wrote to, you can start to piece together a lot of the things that were happening there. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And what you'll find is heresies. Yeah. Heresies right, right. that had crept into the church. But really, as you study them, you start to realize that we have the exact same heresies going on. They're just repackaged in a different way mm-hmm. for a different generation. So please don't think that history is boring, that church history is boring. It's not. It's, you, <laughs> it will help you spot heresy. And it will help you learn orthodoxy. Well, and that's because part heresy, of, go ahead. Because yeah. heresies never show up with a label that says, I'm a heresy, right. believe me. You know, like that's so <laughs> right. important. Right. I mean, it goes back to what Jude was saying, right? He recognized false teachers, he says, that had crept into the church. So it wasn't that it was just so obvious that everybody was seeing it, but mm-hmm. they, they had crept in. Um, we see a lot of creeping into our homes oh, now yeah. via social media. Wow. The, that, mm-hmm. that, that's huge. Very much so. And I think that could be a full discussion in and of itself. So... What, what we're talking about today on the podcast is we're not talking about the body of faith uh, that was once delivered to all the saints. We're talking about what Paul has in mind in Romans 14, as he says in verse 1, as for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Mm-hmm. And that word there is what we're describing. So we're, we're talking about, um, and we'll get into it a little bit more on the episode, um, but let me ask you guys, as we just think about this whole matter of opinions, right? Because I think we need to fence in the discussion a little bit and say, this is not just that you have an opinion about anything. Uh, The Bible, God has an opinion on a lot of things. And so as you go to scripture, you'll find commandments and things that are clearly delineated in scripture. I mean, there's entire passages of, of the Bible that are devoted to a certain issue and God's opinion on the matter. So it is not just whatever you think, uh, but these are things, these are opinions, right? Personal opinions that the, that, that Paul's talking to this church about, and he says, "Hey, there are some things that are not clearly delineated in Scripture, uh, but these these are these are things uh, that people have opinions over." And and Paul's whole point in Romans fourteen is not to quarrel over them, but to welcome one another. But here's here's the challenge, right? Because what is our human tendency, right? As we think about other people who you know don't see eye to eye on everything. And I'll just say this, I don't know if you'll ever find anybody that you'll see eye to eye on everything. I mean, I, I'm sure as we talk around the table today, if we were to really talk about every single thing in our life, none of us would even see eye to eye on, on everything. So, so what is the challenge then as we enter into this arena of talking about opinions, 
where is the the you know the the the, the challenge and all of that? Well, I think we all think about like what's best for me. I mean, we put ourselves at the center of the issue a lot of times. Mm. Um, yeah, I I think too often we look like what you're saying, Morgan. We're selfish, so we look at us. But the thing is, if we're the ones looking for something and we're looking to us, then we already have a bias and we're already a subjective. Um, we're not objective because <laughs> we're looking for something. And so we look to a subjective source when we should be looking to objective sources um, to help us in this. And um, I think too often we're just like, man, I want to get what makes me feel best, what makes me look best or whatever, instead of actually looking at objective truth and saying, what does this actually say and what does it actually mean? And thinking through things, it's like what we've talked about on this podcast, you know, learning how to think and not just like what to think. Mm. And um, I think that our human tendency there gives us attention because we ultimately get to this place where it's like, well, I just want to feel this way. So I'm going to think this. And then we have this like random belief system over here that we've created for ourselves and everybody has their own little random belief system. And now we're in this weird place where it's like, well, I want to tolerate you, right? <laughs> uh, that's the motto of our culture right now. I want to tolerate you, but I don't really like your little random belief system. And, and I like my like little I random do. belief system. So mm, you should like my little random belief mm-hmm. system. That's a big part of it. Because it's like, hey, think like I do because I'm always right. That's, exactly. what, that's what the subliminal uh, mm-hmm. underlying thing, whether not we think about our upbringing or the convictions. I mean, I think this does speak so much to what we believe uh, the purpose of our podcast is, is to talk about some of these things, because quite often when we think about matters of opinion within the church of God today, I'm not talking about doctrinal body of truth. I'm talking about issues, matters of opinion, as Paul's talking about in Romans 14, quite often our, our tendency is just to do what we grew up with to, to do either with what it makes us feel or uh, what we were taught. And we've never really challenged our own um, thinking on the matter and uh, and our tendency, like Morgan's saying, is to judge others who differ as us as just being wrong. And, you know, Paul says so clearly in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And I think it's what Paul says there is, is what he's really bringing out to the church in Rome here in Romans 14. So um, if you have a Bible, turn there. We're just going to take a few minutes to kind of go through this. Uh, passage and kind of hit the high points, right? So in Romans 14, Paul is not addressing morally right and wrong issues. All right, hear, hear me say that again. Paul is not addressing morally right and wrong issues. He does that actually earlier in the letter, but here he is specifically and only talking about quarreling over differences of opinion, right? There's a word that he uses there for opinion. And he says in verse three, let no one who eats despise the one who abstains and let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one that eats. All right. This is maybe not our illustration today, but this was the illustration of the early church. Uh, They were having a difference of opinion regarding food. And and Paul's saying, hey, look, there's two responses. You can either judge the person or you can despise the person. And both of those things are wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because we have a tendency to do that, don't we? Like people who uh, have a tendency to do one of those two extremes, right? Like if somebody is more to the right of something than us, more conservative than us, we have a tendency 
tendency to the temptation is to despise them and be like, well, I can't believe that you would hold to that. Or why would you think that? And then if somebody is maybe more open or maybe we think more progressive or they're to the left of us on something, we have a tendency to judge them as being wrong. Right. I mean, have you guys noticed that and seen that? Uh, yes. <laughs> what about you, Morgan? <laughs> oh, for sure. A lot more than I'd hope. <laughs> Well, first, let, hang on a second. Let's talk about why, since we're jumping into it a little out of context. Sure. Aaron, why is Paul talking about food? Why is he talking about food? Yeah. Because food was something that was splitting the church apart. Why was that? Well, because there were some that thought it was okay to eat food offered to idols and others who did not, right? And there was also some special days. If you read the context there of Romans 14, you'll see what he's talking about, right? And so... There were some that thought, hey, this had been sold in the marketplace. It had been previously offered to an idol. It was idol meat, and there was absolutely no problem in eating it. It is just meat, right? And and Paul actually answers the question. He's like, yeah, it is just meat. But there were other people who, because that food had been offered to an idol, uh, they felt in their conscience that it was the wrong thing to do, that they were somehow um, uh, really speaking against their um allegiance to Christ as King, uh, to, to eat of that food. And, um, but it was a matter of opinion and, and, and the church in Rome was fractured, uh, because of this, right? Does that give you the context? Yeah. And, um, as, as is common a lot, you find with a lot of the churches that Paul ministered in, there would be a um, a blending, like a blended congregation. You've got right. Jews and you've got Gentiles, people who weren't right. Jewish. Right. Which so, is literally the church at Rome in a nutshell. And the whole reason he wrote the letter <laughs> right. was because they were having quarrelings. Right. So like these are really also one thing to remember when you're looking at this whole issue of preference and deference. And these are really practical issues for him. These were not like whimsical ideas and really like out there things that we need to settle and have like these were real just things Certainly. that was things that were happening in the church. Yeah, and I love the word he uses in verse 1 when he's talking about opinions. The original word there is literally one that speaks of discernment, differentiation and distinguishing. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of matters of discernment. Mm-hmm. And God gave us discernment, so why? We could discern. <laughs> and some people discern things a little bit differently than others. So he sets it all up in the context to talk about practical issues. I love that you bring that out. Things that these people encounter daily. So we might not encounter meat offered to idols at Walmart, (laughs) um, but we might encounter something else that we believe is very important to us. Maybe not Walmart in the United States. (laughs) We lived overseas and I've actually been in this exact situation. So like parts of the world will. Yeah. But if you're listening to this and you're in Catawba, you might not. You're probably not going to run into it. Where's the grocery store? The practical (laughs) issues are still going to be the focus that we are talking about in preference and deference. Mm -hmm. So the challenging part of this is what Paul brings out in verse four, right? He says, if who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is, is it before it is, he says, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And he says in verse five, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And mm-hmm. that is a very important phrase. I, I would say if you underline your Bible, I would underline, I would circle the word opinions. And then under that, uh, on verse five, I'd underline fully convinced. Uh, Paul says, hey, in these matters of opinion, it's actually a spiritual issue because you must be fully convinced. 
Um, because, you know, we live in a generation today that wants to say, well, who cares? Do whatever you want. Uh, whatever you want to do is fine. And um, what's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. Sure, sure. But the Christian never says that. Right. The Christian never says that. Because why? Because God cares. I mean, he says <laughs> yeah. it right there. I mean, uh, a, a Christian's primary concern should be about bringing glory to God. And Paul, here he's speaking to this church. He's burdened for this church, as Stephen brought out earlier, because they're in the church in Rome. Um not only was it a church of Jews and Gentiles, but now you have all of these social statuses in the Roman Empire that are now colliding with what it means to be in Christ and be in the church. And Paul was saying, look, there are so many people that are making these big issues about their personal opinions. And your primary concern should be about how are you honoring Christ in it? I mean, he spends the rest of verse six all the way through verse nine talking about honoring the Lord. I mean, he repeats that phrase so many times in those few verses talking about honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord, we are the Lord's. I mean, he's 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 just driving the principle home that in these areas of preference, of opinion, um, that that first and foremost we need to remember whose we are. Mm-hmm. Anything else on on those few verses there before we jump into uh, a few verses later and talk about the principle? I just think it's, you know, the way that he just hammers it home about honoring the Lord. And I think that the minute you take your mind off, what am I going to best glorify God? That's the minute you start looking around at other people and judging. Mm -hmm. So if we literally just keep our eyes like fixed on glorifying God, then that's step number one about, you know, just finding conviction and being fully convinced in these things. Yeah. And I, I would respond to Rachel's question from these few verses too, when she was talking about unity and whatnot to Mm -hmm. say, what unifies us is not what we think, but the person of God. <laughs> it's God himself that unifies us. It's his word that unifies us. And so, yes, there might be disagreements on some principle things or some things that we are to be fully convinced of on our discernment and issues of discernment. But what unifies us is not those things. What unifies us is God and his word. And so there is much that we can unify around. And some things we might not unify, and that's okay. Um, I think sometimes we think that we always have to be like, like we have to be right next to that person and we have to be best friends with everybody. Mm. We won't be best friends with everybody, <laughs> and that's life, but we will be best friends with some people and we can be unified with God's people and we can love everyone even those we disagree. Yeah, and that's what he's talking about here. We can be unified around the faith. And he had just spent the entire first half of the book of Romans outlining some of those core convictions of what it means uh, to contend well for the faith. But here he's, he's talking, he's really bringing home a principle, right? He's, he's talking about things. And this is the principle that he's laying out in Romans 14, right? So with differences of opinion in the church of God, and it's issues that are not sinful, right? So it's not issues that are clearly delineated in other places, but these are purely matters of opinion, Paul's principle that he's outlining here is that you ought to show deference. Now, that is a word that I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with today. Uh, Even the whole, I mean, let the word, let alone the word, let alone what it means, right? I mean, we don't see a lot of this in the church today. So Morgan, define it for us. What is deference? Yeah. So in the dictionary sense, what you'll see is a humble submission and a showing of respect. And so um, deference, not difference, as often as I (laughs) mispronounce that, it's, it's, 
the whole core of it is showing respect to someone else. I think honoring the Lord is at the core of this definition, and it's honoring the Lord and honoring of others in your differing opinions. Right, right. So, I mean, his whole point in these first 18 verses is that we're not to judge in matters of opinion, um, but but we're to show deference, right? So, I mean, Laura, when you hear that and thinking about the church today, how well does the church do today showing deference? Oh, man. So before I answer that, I'm going to back up and tie it together. So in verse six, we've already talked about food and why he's talking about food. But in verse six, it talks about observing days. And am I right to think that this is a reference to days that Jews would observe? Yes. Yeah, so, probably feast days and things that the Gentiles did not grow okay. up with that. I would know. even say maybe two certain Gentile holidays that the Jews would <laughs> sure. refuse Absolutely. to be a part of because they were like, this is pagan. And That's the Gentiles are like, why pagans. can't we be a part of this? We grew up with it, you know? So and then to piggyback off of that, why would the days be an issue for Jewish people? Oh, well, because there would be a pagan ritual that is upheld by the Romans, and we could never do that because the Romans are over us. It literally is. Oh, I'm just kidding. But I I'm think sorry. Really, I'm sorry, <laughs> but like trick-or-treat is probably one of the best examples. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. But you know what I'm hearing here is, um, you asked about in application to the church today, what I'm hearing here is background. So they, you've got you've got Jewish believers. They are coming to the table here at this church with a background, mm-hmm. with a way that they have always viewed the world and how they've always viewed God. And the pagans, the people who were Gentiles, they're coming to the table with a whole different way of looking at the world and background and filter. And now they're both looking at wow. this new faith that they have. And there's a clash because their backgrounds are different. And that reminds mm-hmm. me, you know what, again, things really don't change very much. You have our churches, our local churches here, and we're all coming to the table. We all unite over those orthodox beliefs. Mm. But we're coming to the table with backgrounds, with whether or not we were raised in the church, with um, our family culture, what we were taught. These are things we shouldn't disregard. So the church hasn't changed very much, I guess is what I'm saying. And then um, also it continues to talk about passing judgment on your brother in Christ. And why would you pass judgment on your brother? And part of that is I think we need to remember that everyone comes to the table with a different background mm. that's really and good. having respect for that. And that's part of what deference actually is, is a humble submission and respect for the person that is even coming up and sitting down at the table for the discussion. Mm. Mm. That's, that's so good. good. And that's, that's tied good. back to the first verse when he uses that word, welcome him. Mm-hmm. That literally, I mean, yeah, we can talk about don't judge, but the idea of welcoming someone is literally really deference it's like he's like welcome him in and that that word literally means to take someone aside and to um to take them as a companion or associate we're gonna not just welcome them to take to welcome Mm -hmm. them to the table we're gonna pull out the chair and invite them to sit down it's a lot different than just tolerating someone who's there so let's talk about that for a second uh because this is important (laughs) right because paul brings it out in verse 19 he says so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, right? So he's talking about, hey, when we're differing from somebody over matters of opinion, Paul says the goal is that we strive for peace. But this is not a peace at all cost, right? This is not tolerance. Uh, There is a lot that is spoken in our culture today of tolerance, and that is very different different than deference, right? Because there there are many things that you might have a difference of opinion with somebody 
but we are actually not to show any deference at all. I mean, I think about what what, what Jude, we referenced Jude's letter. I mean, as, as he describes to the church what they are to do, uh, that they're to, to contend for the faith, I mean, to fight for the faith that was once delivered uh, to all the saints. He He's talking about that, hey, there is this body of truth, there is this faith that has been handed over, and it has shape and form. And, and when people um, walk away from that or when people distort that, it goes back to what we were talking earlier in the episode. And w- what do we call that? Well, we call it apostasy, right? Okay. I mean, they've, they've, they, uh, they have distorted or renounced part of that a historic belief. And I think what Paul would actually argue in, as you read the rest of the letter is, hey, when in, in those issues, those are things that we're not to show deference at all. But, but it's very different than when we think about tolerance, right? Because, um, how what is what does tolerance mean i mean there's a lot of talk about tolerance today yeah so dictionary definition of tolerance in the noun form is going to be a fair objective and permissive attitude toward opinions beliefs and practices that different different or that are different from one's own and it even even in the dictionary definition they try and tie tolerance to bigotry because uh, it also gives that it, it says that it's a fair and objective, permissive attitude towards those opinions and, and so on that differ from one's own. And it literally says freedom from bigotry. Now, the only problem is that bigotry is not always disagreement. But in our culture, we have tied disagreement to bigotry. And so therefore, they go hand in hand. Too. Bigotry is subjective. But in our culture... Anytime someone disagrees with someone, they are labeled a bigot. I mean, go out and look at just like our modern culture. If you disagree with me, you're a bigot. If you disagree with me about this, I'm going to label you this way, right? And that's what Twitter does. Dumpster fire of Twitter. And so tolerance has literally bought into that and it said, you know what? Even if I disagree with you and even if I think that you're wrong, some words that you'll probably never hear in our modern culture very often. Even if I think you're wrong, I will continue to tell you that it's okay what you're doing and that it's right. Even if you could strip away all the yucky like connotations we have on tolerance, tolerance you you can you can tolerate somebody without loving them too. So that's exactly. another big thing. Paul's Paul's argument here, not argument, his explanation here in in Romans fourteen is all about honoring the Lord and honoring others, and that stems from love from the Lord, right? Well, to tolerate somebody, I don't have to love them. I just got to put up with well, them. Well, and think about Paul's other letters and specifically Jude's letter. It wasn't that the church was to tolerate the error mm-hmm. that was being perpetuated in the yeah. church. They were not to tolerate it. They were not even to show deference in it, right? Uh, they were to actually to contend for it, to correct it. I mean, that's why you see so many of those church councils, uh, because it wasn't that the church council was getting together to come up with doctrine. The church was calling a council because there was error within the church that was having to be corrected uh, quite often, right? And so often, though, when we think about this just playing out in real life, right, uh, when there are differences of opinion and things that we can disagree about and 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 show, I mean, I think it's what you were saying, Laura, like, speak a little bit more to that about, you know, how do we then disagree with somebody not over doctrine, but disagree with somebody over a, a matter of opinion? And how do we do that well um, by showing respect. Well, I think that the difference between tolerating and deference, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say, but to me, it would be the posture of your heart. So to tolerate somebody is to allow their existence, like without <laughs> much interference. You're just allowing them to exist and not interfering with them. But to show deference is 
for me to show deference, I have to come from a place of humility. Hmm. And the the I'm going to come humble and ready to listen. So I think that really the difference between those two is the posture of your heart um, to show humble submission and respect. Hmm. So let's put some feet to this and, and give a kind of a practical illustration here. I don't know how well of an illustration this is, but I, I feel like it uh, would help. Um, you know, when we think about uh, Christian denominations today, um, you know, we have talked on the podcast before and given some history of the church. Uh, but as we think specifically about Protestant denominations, there are many different Protestant denominations, right? I mean, there's different Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, um, there's Presbyterian churches. I mean, there's so many different types of denominations. And yet, uh, uh, and this is kind of a statement, don't, not all of them, but I would say many within that stream of the Protestant denomination would at least hold to uh, a unified doctrine regarding the person and work of Christ, of how someone is saved. Now, I, once again, I mean, you could you could go to a Baptist church that doesn't preach the gospel just as much as you could go to a Lutheran church that doesn't preach the gospel, right? So, um, but but within that Protestant denomination, uh, I would say there are many uh, churches that would find a lot of similarities of things that they have held as essential to the gospel. Now. I mean, I just probably opened up a can of worms. What do you all think about that? I mean, would would that be a good illustration to show? I, I think it depends on what the issue that you're talking about is. Um, for instance, um, there are objective things that denominations disagree on. And there are subjective things um, like a, an objective thing that I would think on is in our modern day, the discussion of what marriage is. Well, the Bible is highly objective in what it states that marriage is. It is a union between a man and a woman for a lifetime, which has now created some greater division even with, within the denomination, even within Protestant denominations, because yes. now there's an issue that truly is, I, I would go back to the Bible and say black and white in yes. the issue of objective. What, uh, an objective commandment that the church is now having to split over. I mean, you've seen even entire denominations splitting from within themselves over those type of orthodox issues. Yes. But I think what I'm trying to point, point out is that while there are differences of opinion and and you, we show deference, there that in of itself will just create some distance between yes. people. I mean, there's distances within denominations regarding some of those issues of opinion. Well, I don't know. There's even some subjectives there of like, I gave an objective illustration, but there is a subjective illustration of like, even how you um, take the Lord's table, right? Um, yeah, how sir, that's that served. Would be and, that would be, yeah. and there is difference and there has been deference, but there also is separation from some of that. And that does create some difference um, and some separation there because in showing deference, people are like, well, I discern this to be pretty close to scripture, but I'm not going to say you're not a Christian. But what I am going to do is say that I discern that this is what scripture says, and this is what we're going to do. And so that has caused some distance, even though that might be a subject that does have a little bit of room in scripture, but still someone discerns it to be something different. So that does create some difference, even in deference. Mm, that's good. That's good. Anything else on that before we jump? To kind of, well, as we kind of the segue here to the end, and we think about um, Rachel's question, which was such a good question: How then should a Christian handle differences in matters of opinion? What is Paul's point of this whole deference thing and preference 
what are what are we to do as the church of God? Well, I'll speak up since nobody else is. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I, I see just a couple of things in the passage, um, and everybody else can maybe tell me that they see something completely different, but I see a couple of things. The first thing I see is that you need to humble yourself. Uh, you need to be humble in your opinions and not to esteem yourself above someone else. Um, I also see that you should love much. Um, you should be welcoming someone, bringing them literally, it means to bring them aside as a companion. You're pulling out the chair for them and you're saying, sit down with me here at the table. And then thirdly, I do see that you should be convinced of truth. Um, Paul literally says, you need to be convinced, know what you believe, know why you believe it and stick to it. He didn't tell them to leave their beliefs. He told them to be fully convinced of their beliefs and know why. Mm -hmm. And so I think instead of in an age where we encourage people, you know, well, you just, you just need to like not believe that and be okay with everybody else. No, Paul would actually say, you do need to believe what you believe and know why, but you should be humble and loving, even in being fully convinced of what you believe in your own mind. And part of that is something that we haven't, we haven't touched on yet, which is another part of like the difference between tolerance and deference. And Paul talks about it um, in verse, let's see, 21. It is good not to eat meat or meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Hmm. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you do have to be fully convinced in your own mind. But in verse 21, he's talking about laying aside things that could cause your brother or sister in the faith to stumble, which is the opposite of tolerance. Tolerance is allowing somebody to exist and believe what they want to believe. But deference takes it a step further and says, you know what, if I'm in a situation where I'm a, I'm aware of a gray area that could actually cause someone to sin if I right. participate in it. Um, right. that, that uh, deference means that you're going to need to be aware of your situation, aware of your brothers and sisters and putting them first and being willing to lay something down for right. their safety and sanctification. No, agreed. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing it back to the first century illustration, it's like, you know, as Paul ends this, this discussion, he makes the point that eating the idle meat is not wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so there might very be many Gentile families that were buying that in the market and eating that. But I think Paul's point is like, look, when you're gathering as the church of God and you're having one of your love feasts and you're eating together, or you invite somebody in the church over to your home to eat with you, you need to take all of that into consideration of are you causing a brother to stumble, Mm -hmm. right? Because every person's going to have their own opinion over different things of those matters. But it's, it's Paul's language there in verse 21 is literally like you're causing them. Like they don't have a choice in it. Like mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't that like this was optional. It was just like you have are literally causing them to stumble in their faith and you've missed the greater picture of, of who you're ultimately serving. And it's all for the glory of God. He comes back actually in the next chapter in chapter 15, verse seven, he says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul Mm -hmm. just, man, he, he kind of bookends the discussion and frames it back with the glory of God that we're to welcome somebody and to accept them. Um, in these issues regarding matters of opinion. Morgan, what else would you add to it? Yeah, and I just think um, verse 16 and 17 back in in Romans 14 is really where 
Paul gives us this best frame to look at. He says, therefore, I'm reading out of the HCSB, so it might be a little different than what yours says, but therefore do not let your good be slandered for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so that just, and then with what Laura said, coming back to that frame of mind where you're willing to lay down your opinions, um, no, in the knowledge and for the betterment of your brother or sister. And that's just, that's where it really sticks for a lot of us because that's so countercultural to everything we experience every day outside of like the teaching of scripture, right? It's, mm. it's, it's again, fighting for what, what I think is right and my rights. Um, but it's, it's not about that. So Paul's like, don't let these be the things that divide you because that is not the whole of the kingdom of God. It is the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I think something that really just strikes me is that he doesn't attack the person who believes that they have freedom to do it. Yeah. Um, but he also doesn't attack the person who is offended by that person as well. And I think this rubs up uh, against our culture a little bit because we believe that if we have the freedom to do it, we should do it because we're Americans. And so we have the freedom (laughs) to do whatever we want to do because we're individuals. And Paul actually would say, hey, even though you might have the, and he practiced this, by the way, look at his life and look at his missionary journeys. Even if you have the freedom to do something, sometimes you shouldn't do it. And just because you believe it's okay to do something doesn't mean it's always the best time to do things. And you should actually be concerned about the kingdom of God above everything. So who cares if you have to give up the one action or a hobby that you have or thing you want to do for the betterment of your brother, because it's about God's kingdom. So giving up something for someone isn't really that big of a deal. Hmm. Well, that's good. That's good. Anything else to add before we sign off? Well, Hey, we hope that we have somewhat answered your question, Rachel. And uh, thank you so much for reaching out to where we land uh, to ask us about it. And uh, with that, we have mentioned this before, but we would say it again, uh, that uh, we would love to hear from you. And so uh, we would love to interact with you as well uh, on our social media accounts. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find us on our website at wherewelandorg And uh, the her question might have sparked a question for you uh, that you would want to reach out and uh, let the podcast know maybe a question or even a topic of of something that we could discuss in the future. Uh, I know Laura would be glad to interact with you there on social media about those things. So Morgan, it was great to have you back. It's great Uh, to be back. Man, this is something feels normal about it, you know, having you here with us. But it's good to have you back for season four, episode one, uh, as we talked about preference and deference. Well, listen, we're excited to be with you again next time. So we hope you'll see us here. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there was anything we talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, So find us on social media by searching for Where We Land. Also, if you have not done so yet, we would really encourage you to go to Apple iTunes to rate and review the podcast. Uh, We would count it a great privilege if you would do that for us, and we would look forward to seeing you here next time on the podcast. We'll see you then.